You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Helism. Radio friends, I'm glad you've joined me today for another program in the series, Give Me the Bible. Today we're going to consider the subject Nihilism, and we'll also consider what the Bible has to say about the subject. Most of you have probably never heard the word Nihilism before, and are probably wondering what it means. Nihilism is a way of thinking, a philosophy, or what is more commonly known as a world view. Nihil is the Latin word for nothing. Nihilism, then, is a belief that there is no meaning to life and no meaning to existence. Although many people over the centuries have wondered about the meaning of life or the lack of it, the person who openly identified nihilism was a German philosopher, Friedrich Nischke, who lived in the latter half of the 1800s. Nietzsche maintained that there is no obje- objective order or structure in the world except what we give it. Further to that, he said, All values are baseless, and there is no absolute truth. Nihilism repudiates all imposed values and considers nothing worthwhile. Because of this belief promoted by Nietzsche, many people who felt the same as he did have happily committed suicide, feeling that death was no worse than life because life had no purpose. Since Nietzsche, a movement, or at least a general belief, has emerged. It is known as postmodern nihilism. It seems that many young people in these modern times feel that life has no purpose and they either do one of two things to express how they feel. Firstly, they act as if there are no rules or laws to govern their behaviour. Therefore, they have no compunctions about taking drugs or binging on alcohol. Eat, drink and be merry becomes their motto. The other thing that is quite prevalent in these times is youth suicide. There are many more cases of youth suicide each day than from accidents. Most of those cases do not get reported in the public media. Now, why should so many people, especially young people, feel that there is no purpose to life? My strong opinion is 
that in schools, colleges and universities, students are taught that the universe came into existence without any reason. It was purely an accident. Part of that accident was the formation of this planet, Earth. Again, by accident or by chance, with no guidance whatever, life was supposed to have formed from non-living chemicals. Again, with no reason, and by accident or pure chance, one life form supposedly turned into a different life form, ending up with man. It's no wonder then that people feel that life has no meaning since, through a series of meaningless, unguided chances, man is the end product. Should be no surprise to parents if their child or children do not have any intention to hold the values that their grandparents and parents held. It should be no surprise if your child, if you have children, runs amok. Society is reaping the consequences of allowing an empty, unsustainable and false theory, the theory of evolution, to be taught to our young people. What many thought leaders present to us is that what we are and what we experience has no reason for being. And we're also led to believe that there is no future beyond our own perceptions. What a dark, bleak scenario. I feel sorry for people who, when they think about the big issues of life, find no meaning, no absolutes, no hope, no integrity and no dignity in what they see. They have nothing to look up to, no model to guide them. There is no good and no bad, and there is no moral guide. Life to them must seem to be like an empty ship adrift on an open ocean. Can life go on in this way? Probably not. If there's no meaning to life, no purpose, then there is no reason to continue to live. Why is society progressing down this road that leads to nowhere? Primarily, it is because people have tried to remove God out of the picture. Bring back God and we have a totally different scenario. With God as the supreme being in the universe and the one who made the world and who created what's in it, including you, there is someone to answer to, someone to look up to, and someone who provides reasons. The book of Genesis begins with a straightforward account of origins. Firstly, it introduces God. In the first verse, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here, 
two things are presented straight away. Firstly, the Bible presents that there is a mighty being who is all-powerful, far more powerful, far more intelligent and far wiser than human beings are. Secondly, the Bible says that God created. The creation was not a series of haphazard happenings, but planned and properly executed creative events. There was planning, intelligence and order. And then in Genesis 1.27, we read of God creating mankind. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What a contrast between what the Bible teaches and what evolution teaches. There is nothing nihilistic about what the Bible teaches. God gave people reasons to live. Life was to be meaningful. What are they? Well, there are at least five reasons to live that are mentioned in the Bible. The first two are found in Genesis 1.28, which says, God bless them, that's our first parents, Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves over the ground. So the first reason is to procreate and to reproduce. In other words, to have children. The second reason is to rule over what has been created. Now rule means to take care of. Man was given the task of being the caretaker of the planet. The third reason is found in Genesis 3.8. After Adam and Eve had sinned, they hid themselves. And then in verse 8 it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from among the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? What was God doing down here on planet Earth? He was fellowshipping with man whom he had created. Man is to fellowship with God and vice versa. So reason three is part of man's existence is to have interaction with his maker. In Genesis chapter 4 is the story of the world's first murder where Cain in a fit of jealousy murdered his own brother Abel. In verses 9 and 10 is recorded some conversation between God and Cain. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Of course, God knew what had happened, and Cain was put under a curse because of what he had done. So here we find reason four. It's quite obvious from what is recorded in Genesis 4 that not only are human beings to look after the planet, but also look after each other. And this is reiterated by Jesus where he said to his followers, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And the golden rule, also spoken by Jesus, further reinforces that idea where it says, Do unto others as you would that they should do unto you. In the verse from Genesis 1.27 I quoted earlier, when God created, he made human beings in his own image. That doesn't necessarily mean to look similar, but it especially means to bear the same qualities that God has. Qualities like righteousness, trustworthiness, mercy, goodness, joyfulness, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, and so on. So here is a further meaning to life. Meaning number five is to emulate and reflect the goodness and glory of our Maker. In this there is peace, joy and satisfaction. We'll stop here and go on straight afterwards. My Savior Face to face What will it be When with rapture I behold Him Jesus Christ Who died for me Face to face I shall behold Blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory. Yeah. 
So here we have five reasons for living. Number one, procreate. Number two, take care of the planet. Number three, to have interaction with our maker. Number four, to take care of each other. And number five, to emulate and reflect the goodness and glory of our maker. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, we have this statement. It says, Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Part of life's meaning and purpose is to honour and please God, our Creator. Do you realise that there is a direct connection between evolution and nihilism? It goes like this. If I'm but a piece of modified slime, then I'm not worth very much. In fact, I'm worthless. The value I place in myself is nothing. And therefore, nothing else matters. There's no need for me to try to make something of myself, to try to succeed, because in the long run, I'm nothing, of no importance. There's no reason for me to obey the rules, to fit in with society, to make a contribution for the good of myself or others. Recently on the television news was a report about young people in one of the third world countries in Africa. The news clip showed dozens of young people holding bottles and cans to their noses and they were sniffing glue and petrol. Asked why they did that, they replied that they had no hope for the future. In reality, they were nihilists. The only pleasure, if we could call it that, was to have their minds dulled by the chemicals they were inhaling. But what the Bible teaches and what the Bible presents is a totally different scenario. The Bible teaches that man was carefully crafted by a loving God who made us in his own image. God gave us life and God gave us purpose. And because God chose to create us in his own likeness, we have dignity. We're not the product of slime in a pond of chemical soup. We were made purposefully and deliberately and made with care and love and made to reflect our beautiful Creator. With those thoughts in mind, we must recognise that we have significant value, great value. And the Bible also adds to that by explaining what happened when things went wrong, when mankind sinned. God didn't just leave us to our own devices. He stepped in to repair the damage to rescue us from the clutches of the enemy, Satan, who values human beings no more than another run in a cricket game. When man sinned, God, on the other hand, 
gave his own life to rescue us. That's worth far more than a trainload of diamonds. The life of the Son of God was given to rescue us. That's the sort of value God placed on us, on you and on me. If God's thought so much about us, what value should we place on our own selves? In God's eyes, and so should it be in our own eyes, we are of great value. A Christian cannot be a nihilist. Another issue to be considered is that of mortality. The evolution-based nihilist has no reason to be interested in living a good moral life. Uh, I said mortality before, I meant morality. So a nihilist has no reason for living a moral life. Because the nihilist considers himself worthless, that there is no purpose to life, there is no need for him to try to fit in with the rules of society. If I don't care about who or what I am and recognise that I have no purpose and no future, there is no reason for me to comply with any rules. I do what I choose, whether it's criminal or otherwise. I choose my own rules, even if it means that I don't have to live by those rules. You see, a nihilist has no absolutes. There's no right and wrong. Everything I, everything I understand is relative to how I feel. But when one considers the biblical teaching, because I have worth given to me by God, then I have a relationship and responsibility to both my Creator and to other people who are also part of his creation. I have a responsibility and part of that responsibility is that I must not violate the rights and dignity of others. I must not violate the responsibility I have to my Maker. In order to protect human beings and in order that we recognise who made us, God has given us a set of rules to follow. Those rules, as you would probably know, are called the Ten Commandments. They are good and wholesome. And anyone who says they have been disposed of, like a piece of soiled toilet paper, has an extremely limited understanding of God's Word. Those rules are absolute, and they are a guide to proper living and proper relationships within society and to God. Before we finish today, I want to comment on something that has become more and more evident with the progress of time. We have people who have left their countries of origin because their worth and their rights have been violated. In simple terms, where they've come from is a mess. They've been accepted into our country because we care. We care about individuals and we value them. We want the rights 
of all to be protected. Therefore, the country where we live, by and large, is safe, peaceful and free. Some of those immigrants who've been accepted into our society have turned around and tried to impose their way of thinking, their laws and their rules on us. In reality, they accept the freedom and graciousness of their host country and then attempt to turn it, our beautiful Australia, into the same mess as the countries where they have gleefully left. These people might not be nihilist, but they devalue our society and try to forcefully impose their ideas and views on us. Australia, despite its faults, is the product of Christian values that have been built up over many years. And I want to say to you, may it stay that way. Nihilism is a pitiable and worthless philosophy. Christianity is full of merit and hope. And I'm so glad that as a Christian, I can share this beautiful understanding about life with you. We must stop. I hope you've, I've given you something worthwhile to think about this week. And until our next appointment, I wish you God's blessings and peace and hope.